I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to teach you a method that'll help you attack the seemingly unsolvable chicken and egg problem all early stage startups have, or think they have. Here it is. You can't know if the product you plan to build will work the way you hope it will without sinking a bunch of money and time into it first. You've got to build the thing to see if it works. But you can't just sink a bunch of time and money into building a thing if you don't have time or money. And the people giving you money, usually investors, want to see that the thing works before they invest, the thing you can't afford to build without them. Chicken and egg. Can't build without funding. Can't get funding before you build. Lots of people reach this fork in the road and take one of two paths. Both stink. The first path is avoidance. You recognize you'll need more than you've got to raise money, but you sort of go through the motions anyway, making a deck, going to a few events, maybe putting up a LinkedIn status or two. Eventually, you tell yourself it was just too hard to raise funds and your idea drifts away like the tide. The second path is chaos. You plunk down 10 or 20 or $40,000 or whatever's in your bank account, and you hope a development shop builds an amazing product that works. And while I appreciate the chutzpah, and frankly appreciate the word chutzpah even more, the chuck it and hope approach doesn't work, and your time is way more valuable than that. The details for your first product really matter, and you won't nail them without tons of intimate reps with your customers solving their problem. And the details I'm talking about aren't design or breadth of features. Those don't matter at all. If you're actually solving an urgent problem for someone, your product can look like pure garbage and they will still use it. I promise your product that you think is an exception is not an exception. That's actually one of my favorite signs of a promising market. If there are products that look horribly made but are still growing like weeds, there's potential there. There's a real problem. The details that do matter are exactly how and when your customer interacts with what you're building, what they can do with whatever value you're delivering, how they feel during the whole process, and how they quantify and describe that value to someone after you've delivered it. That is the important stuff. It's the hard stuff. A great way to learn that stuff is through a concierge MVP, a method of delivering the value of a product without actually having a product. The concierge MVP is exactly what it sounds like. You're the concierge and you take your customer manually through the experience your product would deliver if it existed. You solve their problem. Wherever you were going to have a product, instead, you just have you. In the words of Jerry Seinfeld, there's no bobsled, there's just Bob. This works extraordinarily well for validating all the critical assumptions that lead to a great product. And if you think it can't work for your product, it can. We've helped founders do concierge MVPs for everything from service products to direct-to-consumer CBD drinks to outdoor patio furniture to a freelancer marketplace. And we'll start by telling a sad story about what happens if you don't do this. Great storytelling is all about setting the stakes. Here are the stakes. That's coincidentally also the name of my charcoal grill company, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. In the early days of Tacklebox, we had an incredibly talented team that identified an enormous problem. Retailers did, and do, 
a terrible job of predicting demand and pricing. Our company looked to solve the problem through AI. Basically, they'd interact directly with a retailer's customer base to get forward-looking data on what they'd actually buy and how much they were actually willing to spend. Then they'd combine that data with the retailer's historical sales data to get a complete picture of what to make, how much of it to make, and how to price it. Everyone loved the idea. The COOs and CROs of retailers leapt on board to join the pilot after cold emails. And the team, having a strong technical presence, built the tool they would use in those pilots. It surveyed customers, pulled in historical data, and spit it all out in a custom, beautiful dashboard. Retailers would, hopefully, pay for the tool on a quarterly basis, starting after this free pilot was run. The pilot ran, and the product worked as advertised. They saved tens of thousands of dollars with a tool that cost a fraction of that amount. When it was time to sign contracts with the participants of the pilots, we assumed it was a formality. Of course they would sign. But no one did. Why? The tool didn't fit into their workflow. Retailers worked in Excel all the time. Their data was in Excel. Decisions were made through Excel. Years and years of past data were in endless tabs in Excel. The ordering, buying, and pricing process all ran through it. But the tool our team built was in a separate dashboard. There was friction to access it. You had to leave Excel to do it. It was annoying. And on top of that, the incentives to use the tool in the first place were off. What we thought would be a tool for merchants to get better at their job was seen as a threat by those merchants. They thought this tool, if it worked, would replace them. They weren't entirely wrong. That was the plan. So they didn't use it. Or if they did, they certainly didn't say it was responsible for the better decisions they'd made. That was all them, thank you very much. Their job relied on them predicting trends. So when they did, of course they took credit for it. So when the higher-ups, the same ones who brought in the tool for the pilot, asked the merchants if it was useful, the answer was a resounding no. Our company then tried to find smaller retailers who might get value from it, companies without dedicated merchants or with merchants who were severely overworked. But the way the tool was built, it needed years of historical sales data and a certain number of customers. It didn't work with smaller retailers. The tool was rigid. The solution that was built didn't solve anyone's problem, and that was that. A concierge MVP might have avoided this fate. We would have found a more flexible way to help a retailer forecast demand before building out an actual product. We probably would have quickly realized by watching over their shoulder that anything outside of Excel was untenable. We'd understand how the product made merchants feel. We'd maybe be able to navigate the systemic problems, but also might have been able to just write it off with less of an investment. Today, we'll talk about how you can set up and run a concierge MVP to keep you from that fate using a few ideas I simply cannot get out of my head. After, a little smooth jazz. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to test out the former before you leave the latter, come and work with us. Apply at gettacklebox.com. Over 400 startups have tested and built ideas through our program, and those businesses are now collectively worth over a billion dollars. Our program helps you prioritize and execute, and our members and me and the team keep you accountable and give you feedback along the way. Come build with us at gettacklebox.com. Back to it. Concierge MVPs. We'll start with what the concierge MVP is for. Three big things. First, you'll validate the problem in customer. Second, you'll understand what product needs to be built, when to help, how to help, and what the real value of solving the problem is, what it allows your customer to do. 
And third, you'll understand what your life would actually look like if you pursued this idea. This is criminally underrated. A concierge MVP is a window into the future. You'll see how it feels to work with customers, where they need more or less support, what they believe or need to be convinced of, their scarcity and constraints, their questions, their emotions, all the good stuff you can't get from the sidelines that needs to be in your product and your marketing. Overall, a concierge MVP exists to help us decide if this idea is worth our time. Now, the second big question, what will it help us do? What's the unlock? The answer is, it gets us to the next level. If you want to raise money, it'll help you do that. If you want to see the business's potential, it'll help you do that. It'll make it clear the teammates you need and the advisors that you need. It'll give you real, actual momentum or stop you dead in your tracks. Either way, it helps you make that go or no-go decision. The category shift from sort of working on an idea to the founder of X business that occurs once you run a concierge MVP is staggering. Great, moving on. It's a 20-ish minute skills episode, so we got to haul butt a little bit here. The concierge MVP itself is a four-step process. I'll lay out those steps, and then I'll tell you a story about two companies that ran through them. Hopefully, it sparks something for you. Bing, bang, boom. The first step of a concierge MVP is to identify the underlying hypothesis of your business. I like using this structure. If I can help X do Y, it'll allow them to Z which is so valuable that they'll have to tell other people about it. This seemingly simple thing is trickier than it sounds. Let's say I'm building a new kind of charcoal grill, and the reason I'm doing it is that I love the razor razor blade business model, and I think I can sell people charcoal on a subscription forever. And if you can't tell, I've thought about this before. I told you the name earlier was Here Are The Steaks, but there are a lot of mediocre steak puns I've been kicking around for the grill. So far, none of them have stuck. Sorry. Anyway, my hypothesis would be, if I can help people who love charcoal grills get a better grill, it'll help them grill better? Yikes. It becomes clear very fast that I don't really understand the problem or the customer, and that the idea was about me, not about them. That won't work. Alternatively, here's the answer from a startup we've worked with that gamifies sales. Quote, if I can help Series A B2B SaaS companies measure, prioritize, and gamify the small tasks that lead to higher sales per employee, they'll execute at a higher level and be able to raise a new round of funding. This is a lot better. Probably ready for a concierge MVP. The second step of the concierge MVP is to dig in on the customer part of the hypothesis. The goal is to stack the deck for these first tests. You want to make sure the customer you choose for a concierge MVP is the absolute best possible customer for you. Give yourself every chance to succeed. This way, there are no excuses. If it doesn't work, it means something is fundamentally wrong about the business. This customer should already see the value. They should be looking to solve the problem already. They should have an urgent, painful, expensive, frequent, or growing problem, and potentially already be connected to you. In the B2B SaaS example we just mentioned, this would be a customer who might already be trying to gamify sales with their staff and is publicly gearing up for a fundraise and thinks sales is the way to get there. The third step is acquiring these customers. Ideally, you've already got some. Don't overthink this. They should come from your customer interviews. They should be the reason you're starting this business. But if it has to be cold, use the hypothesis framework as your marketing. We'll help you X so that you can Y. We're launching a limited pilot, and we think you're right for Z reasons. Respond if you're interested. Always remember the three most powerful words in the English language. I choose you.
And finally, create the plan for your concierge MVP. Replace the product in your mind with yourself. Focus on opportunities for feedback. The gold standard concierge MVP should feel like we're one of those detectives on NYPD Blue who's looking through the one-way mirror at the perp. We just watch our customers solve the problem, able to study everything they do. To summarize the four steps of a concierge MVP, define the hypothesis, pick the perfect customer, choose the ones you want to start with, and deliver clear value manually. Now, let's run through some examples. As always, holler if you have an idea that you think is unconcierge testable. Email us at team at gettacklebox.com. We can figure it out, and if it's spicy enough, maybe we'll do it live on the pod. About six months ago, a founder showed up on our doorstep with an idea for a coaching service that she'd sell to businesses. In her previous life, she'd been a coach in two different verticals. First, a career coach hired by individuals, and second, a health coach hired by private hospitals to help their patients post-treatment or diagnosis. In both scenarios, she set up the core operating system for people's lives. In both scenarios, she was blown away by the efficacy. The first time we met, she told me, quote, I think I'm a really good coach, but it's not like I'm the greatest coach in the world. And yet, the people I work with make incredible strides once the system is in place. And most good coaches get those results. It's just not rocket science. You can teach coaches to get great results, and using a coach gets you consistently great results. People just don't do it. She went on to tell me her idea. Some businesses offer coaches to their employees once they reach a certain level, usually C-suite. But having coaches available for all of your employees would create astounding value. We could standardize business things like meeting agendas and takeaways and also personal things like diet and exercise. Improving health and efficiency makes people happier at work. It removes the perception of stress. It decreases turnover. It increases happiness. Coaching could be a company's secret weapon. Woo, I was sold. What a pitch. Then the problem, quote, But I don't want to run a service business. I want to run something that can scale. I want to spend my time thinking up the coaching systems and implementing them, tackling productivity and compensation and inter-office politics and exercise and all the topics I've been in the weeds with over the years. I think a lot of it can be done asynchronously with smart follow-up, but I need like 100K to build out the app I want, and I can't raise funding until I've got that app. Chicken, meat, egg. Time for a concierge MVP. One of the questions I get asked a lot about concierge MVPs is where exactly do they live? They're definitely after customer interviews and they pair best with a specific insight. It should feel like you're stuck, like you've gotten all you can from interviews in a landing page and you need a little bit more. Concierge MVPs are the crowbar that frees you up for momentum. Here was the concierge MVP for this entrepreneur. First, her hypothesis. If I can help Series B tech companies get access to a coaching system for all their employees, it'll allow them to scale faster, reduce turnover, promote internally, and increase employee happiness. This will be the single most impactful decision they make this year. They will attribute a huge portion of their success to it. They will absolutely tell other companies about it. Second, her customer, quote, Series B tech companies, but deeper than that, companies that already implement coaching for C-suite executives and track employee happiness. These companies are hiring, growing, and can't afford turnover. They believe in coaching. They just didn't think it was available at all levels. Third, acquisition. 
She'd run interviews with a bunch and had warm leads already. Sales would be direct through emails and calls. Fourth, and most interestingly, how would she deliver the value of the product that she'd envisioned manually? The flow she'd envisioned for the eventual product was as follows. A monthly hour-long meeting with each employee for a traditional coaching one-on-one. We'd set goals, adjust previous goals, and flag any real issues HR needed to focus on. The coach would then have a tool that allowed them to prescribe the next month for that employee. The employee would be put on a plan with process and outcome goals around career and health and have the ability to check in each day with how they felt and why. Reflection and consistent monitoring was the key. There would be short videos that popped up to take them through things like a 15-minute breathwork exercise at lunch or a prioritization exercise on a Monday morning. On the back end, the coaches could watch progress and jump in if or when it was relevant. The way to make this product a concierge MVP is actually pretty straightforward. The app just becomes the entrepreneur. She'd run the one-on-ones with employees at the beginning of the month, then figure out exactly what she would have prescribed had the product she'd wanted to build existed. If she decided that an employee needed a 15-minute breathwork exercise every day at lunch, a prioritization check-in on Mondays, a motivation text on Thursday, Friday, and Sunday, and reminders as to what a healthy lunch would help them achieve each day at 11 a.m., she'd build that out. Here's how she'd do it. She'd record the breathwork, prioritization, and other videos as needed. She'd then schedule them to be emailed out over the next month using Gmail's schedule send function. Then she'd schedule any text messages using Twilio. Finally, she'd schedule a survey on Typeform to go out once a week, seeing how the program was going. These are all free or cheap no-code tools that you can learn in less than five minutes. Finally, to really close the feedback loop, she'd schedule extra 15-minute check-in calls each Friday to get more transparency into what was helpful and how. Now that she'd outlined the concierge MVP, she had to try and sell it. For concierge MVPs, there are two schools of thought around compensation. You can try to get customers to pay, which will give you some clarity around perceived value. Or you can remove that friction and create specific goals for the pilot. You're going to create these three specific outcomes. And if you do, the customer agrees that they'll sign on to some sort of contract at the end. I think both are valuable. Feel out which situation is more likely to end up with you working in a meaningful way with the business. You won't have any social proof, so when selling B2B, you'll often have to give away the pilot for free. Our coaching friend went the free route. Right away, we realized how hard it was going to be to position the outcomes that she'd hoped to deliver. Getting calls with customers was no problem. Closing free trials was a huge one. She couldn't quantify productivity or lower turnover or higher retention or happier employees, especially on monthly trials. Companies asked, how would they know happiness was solely attributed to the coaching? What metrics would they track? If it worked and if they had to pay, where would the budget come from? What was the category? Was this HR? Was it wellness? Would this get covered by insurance? The C-suite executives had budgets for their personal growth, but the employees she was targeting didn't. Customer after customer asked pointedly, what is this? Nearly every company said they'd rather wait and see how other companies did with the product before diving in. Then they said they'd happily pay if it worked, if there were testimonials, if there were white papers, if there were clear outcomes. Luckily, one company did sign on for a test. They'd had great experiences with C-suite coaches in the past, and they were intrigued. 
They were a SaaS business that built HR software, so this also aligned with their core thesis. They decided to test it with three teams of five employees. The entrepreneur executed for two months. This is getting long, so I won't get into too many details, just the important ones. The concierge product worked as planned. All the value a real product would have delivered, the concierge product delivered too. But it didn't really land. Employees quickly ignored things like breathwork and prioritization and meal reminder pings. They stopped responding to surveys or answered with unhelpful responses like, quote, going well. They showed up to every one-on-one and repeatedly talked about how valuable those were and how they wanted more, but we already knew coaching one-on-ones worked. They weren't scalable. That was the problem. The entrepreneur reflected on the experience, quote, People fundamentally don't believe that coaching delivered via text or email can work, she said, making her final decision. They don't see the value and they can't quantify it. Coaching delivered one-on-one does work, everyone agrees, but it's too expensive and the model doesn't scale. If I pursued this opportunity, I'd spend my life trying to hire coaches, trying to convince people that something they don't believe will work actually will trying to prove our value through crappy feedback loops and consistently dealing with employee disengagement. And I'd likely end up with a service model anyway, which is not the business I want to run. One month of a concierge MVP in this space, and she knew it didn't make sense. Quickly, she moved to healthcare coaching at scale, a clearer problem with clear outcomes and stakes. She's currently running a concierge MVP in that space with incredible results. She's going to close a funding round soon. This might be the one. I promised another concierge MVP, but this pod is past 20-ish minutes. So if you want to hear about a concierge MVP for an outdoor furniture business sold direct to consumer and get more structure on tools to use for your concierge MVP and approaches that have worked, head to gettacklebox.com slash podcast stuff, all one word, and put in your email. I'll send it over. Concierge MVPs do a lot for you. They help you understand what's actually valuable. They let you see in real time what the swap looks like, how your customers' lives will change if they incorporate your product for good or for bad. They help you look into the future and see what your life would look like if you pursued this idea. But maybe most importantly, they help you do what most people won't. And that is where we'll end. I watched a documentary the other day on happiness. It was fine, not good enough to recommend. But there was an interesting scene on bucket lists. A survey had gone out to thousands of people asking them to make a bucket list, the top five things they wanted to do before they died. Then the documentarian followed up and asked a simple question. What are you doing now to make sure the thing at the top of your bucket list gets done? This is the thing you supposedly want to do most in your life, so what's the plan? Person after person responded with some version of, you know what, I haven't thought that far, or you know what, I always just thought it'd be clear when the time was right. In short, no one was doing a damn thing. A specific interview caught my attention. One person had written, quote, spend a month in Paris as the number one item on their bucket list. When pressed as to what the next steps were, she said, I don't know. I guess I could start by picking a month, like maybe next June. It was almost like she was asking the interviewer if that date worked. Sure, the interviewer said, next June could work. The person's eyes welled up with tears as they began to rattle off plans, what family members they'd invite, where they'd stay, how to book the rental, how much they'd have to spend, how they'd pay for it, the activities their grandkids could do. They fired off a big email in that moment, telling everyone to block their calendar. The moment people learn what I do for a living, probably 90% of them say something like, 
my goal is to run my own thing at some point in the next five or 10 years. Most of them won't. And I think this chicken and egg problem is the biggest blocker. It's hard to see past until you know what to do and then your dream becomes manageable. The concierge MVP is a path to momentum. It's the thing that can catapult you to the next step. It's hard and it's uncomfortable and it's scary, but it works. Most won't, but maybe you will. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you got a startup idea and a full-time job, head to gettacklebox.com and we'll help you with the former so you can leave the latter. And if you like the pod, leave us a rating and a review. It makes an enormous difference for helping people find us. Have a great week.